I, um, I bumped into my former vicar uh, just a couple of days ago and told him I was speaking on this passage and asked him if he had any advice for me. Um, and his advice was to choose another passage. So, um, bearing that in mind, should we pray as we start? Father, thank you for your, for your word to us. And I pray that um, by your Holy Spirit you would open this passage, give us clarity in our minds, show us what you're saying to each one of us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just over a year ago, I started teaching in a small Christian primary school. I was teaching theology to 7 to 11-year-olds. Um, and my first lesson I did, um, I asked them the question, what is God like? And I got some very good answers. He's big, he's good, he's amazing, he's loving. Um, one suggested self-loving, which um, suggested a very sophisticated Trinitarian understanding of God um, from eight-year-old Fergus. He'd obviously been reading Augustine in his summer holidays. Um, sadly, I, I had to leave. Um, sacked would be a too strong a word. Um, I think it was a, a mutual agreement. Um, before I could ask the next question, which um, is, where is God? I think this question, where is God, is one we're forced to ask ourselves um, many times. When we look at the suffering world we live in in general, we ask that question, where is God? At the beginning of the problem of pain, C.S. Lewis put it like this, look at the universe we live in. By far the greatest part of it consists of empty space, completely dark, and unimaginably cold. You may have been thinking of a church but like this in the winter. Um, creatures cause pain by being born, live by afflicting pain, and in pain they mostly die. History is largely the record of crime, war, disease, and terror. With just sufficient happiness to give people an agonized apprehension of losing it. So where is God in this hurting world? Of course there are lots of good and beautiful things in this world, especially in Parsons Green. But we cannot escape this question, where is God amidst all the suffering around us? And in our own personal lives, I think this question emerges again and again. There are times, aren't there, when it feels like God is with us. When we read the Bible and God seems to speak to us through it. When he answers our prayers. And there are times when we just feel like, like God is with us. But there are also times, aren't there, when we feel abandoned by God. Perhaps we try and read the Bible and there's just nothing there for us. It just seems like a dead book. When God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers when everything seems to be going wrong. Uh, about four years ago, I, I got um, glandular fever and had to leave university and various things happened. It just seemed like everything was going wrong. And I, it felt, for me, 
like God had in some ways abandoned me. And I don't know whether anyone's feeling like that now, that maybe God feels slightly absent from your lives. Maybe someone's feeling that God's never really been present in a really felt way. Anyway, so that's the question. Where is God? The second question I think we all have to face is um, how do I find forgiveness for the things I've done wrong? When we look within, we see some terrible and quite uncomfortable truths about ourselves. When we look back over our lives, we see lots of things that we've done or said that, that cannot be reversed. And we ask ourselves, how can we find forgiveness for these things? And how can we become deep down the sort of people we've always wanted to be? And I think this story is about these two questions. Where is God? And how do I find forgiveness? Because if you were a Jew in the first century, if you were asked those questions, where is God? And how do I find forgiveness? The answer to both those questions would have been the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let's go back to the story for a moment and just appreciate what an extraordinary story it is. An unknown carpenter from Nazareth. You have to remember that this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So Jesus, he's turned water into wine in Cana and Galilee, which is miles away, and now he's come to the capital city. He's from Nazareth, which is an obscure northern town. Nathaniel, just uh, in the previous chapter, has asked whether anything good could come from Nazareth. He comes to the capital city. He enters the most important building of that city, just before the most important festival of the year. He makes a whip out of cords, overturns tables and drives everyone out, people and animals. He basically causes a riot. And then, as he leaves, he makes some obscure claim that this house belongs to his father. I was trying to think of what a modern equivalent uh, might be for us today. And I thought perhaps maybe a plumber from Bradford coming to London, um, breaking into perhaps the House of Commons um, during Prime Minister's question times. I thought the House of Commons, because that allows me um, to make a little joke later. Um, I thought I'd better pre-warn you, and also remind you this is my first sermon, so I need all the encouragement <laughs> I can get. Um, so he breaks into the House of Commons, um, during Prime Minister's question time, he overturns table, and then with a whip, um, he drives everyone out. I, I put in my note, leave pause for the laughter to die down. So I'm just... Brilliant. Um, and as he leaves, maybe make some strange claim, like that his father is the true king of England. So what's going on? What is Jesus doing in the temple? What is he trying to say? I think the clue to this passage is verse 19. The Jews have just asked Jesus, essentially, what he thinks he's doing. And Jesus replies, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Which then John explains in verse 21. But the temple he was talking about was his body. In other words, Jesus is claiming 
to be the true temple. What he's doing is a prophetic sign that a new temple has arrived. And this time it's not a building, it's a person. You'll remember in the Old Testament, God reveals himself to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Um, and he promises to be their God and to be with them wherever they go and to be with their descendants. And then when, you remember, when the Israelites leave Egypt, uh, when they escape from Egypt, God goes with them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then as they're wandering through the desert on the way to the promised land, um, they, they pitch a tent, the, the tabernacle, where God lives. It's the center of the camp, and that's where people go to meet God. And then when they come into the, the land of Canaan, into the promised land, Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem. And that is the place where God lives. And it's also the place where the Israelites would come and offer sacrifices to find forgiveness for sins. So what Jesus is doing here is he's claiming that he's replacing that temple. He's replacing, he himself is the true presence of God on earth. You'll remember um, two weeks ago when Tim was talking about the prologue, um, and he talked about John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, and he reminds us that uh, dwelt among us um, it literally uh, means pitched a tent among us in or tabernacled among us. In other words, God himself, the word of God, became flesh in Jesus and became the tabernacle, became the very presence of God among his people. So the old is passing away, the new has come. The same sort of thing as was going on last week when Tim talking about the water into wine. It's a new stage in God's plan for his people. So what does this mean for us? I think the first thing it means is that if you're asking the question of where God is, it means the answer is in Jesus. If you're wondering where God is in this hurting world, the answer is that God has not remained absent from this world. He's not remained, remained removed. He's come to dwell in the world, to suffer with it, and to suffer for it. He's come to suffer with us and to suffer for us. It means that if you're longing for a real experience of the presence of God in your life, if you're longing for an experience of the love of God or the power of God, or God's guidance, it means you can have this. You can have this real, true experience of God through a relationship with Jesus. In Jesus, we experience God's presence. The second thing I think this means is that if you want to experience that forgiveness that, that we all long for, that you have to go through Jesus. As Jesus was driving out the animals from the temple, he was signaling the end of the sacrificial system. Forgiveness is no longer to be found in a building or through any kind of rituals. It's to be found in a person. And through Jesus, he went on from there, and of course, he died, offering his life as the perfect sacrifice that would end all sacrifices. 
And then you remember in Jesus' ministry that one of the most controversial things he did was go around telling people that they were forgiven. The old system by which you'd find forgiveness was passing away. Jesus had arrived to bring forgiveness. So if anyone is looking for forgiveness, if anyone has things undealt with in terms of things from their past, it's in Jesus that we find forgiveness. But how practically can we access this? It's all very well saying that Jesus is the presence of God on earth and that in Jesus we find forgiveness. But how is this made real in our lives? When we read the Bible or when we pray, we enter into a relationship with Jesus. And that's important, uh, indeed vital. And when we repent and when we confess our sins, that helps us to, to find forgiveness. But the real answer, the way in which it's really made real to us, is through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who makes real for us God's presence in our life and God's forgiveness. To use an analogy, um, there are some things we know in theory in a detached way, um, and then there are some ways we know through experience. For example, um, two months ago, um, I had been told that St. Dionysus was a very friendly, warm, welcoming church, and I believed the people who told me. Um, and as I said, so I, I knew it. I knew it, and I could have told anyone that and been sure that it was true. But now, after two months of being here, I know that because I've experienced. I've experienced the warmth of the welcome here. I've experienced um, boxes of things for the flat when I moved in just around the corner. Um, I've experienced quite a number of cakes. Um, in fact, there was a stage where every single meal, as a discipline, I just have another slice of cake because there were so many cakes being given. Um, and even despite that, having moved out of home just in two months, I've lost half a stone. So I don't quite know how that works. I think more cake, more cake. <laughs> so perhaps you might be sitting here thinking, I think I know that Jesus is, Jesus is God's presence and the way I find forgiveness in a kind of removed, kind of factual way. But I'm not sure whether I'm experiencing that right now. And then, but it's through the Holy Spirit that we have that full experience. It's when we have the Holy Spirit in us, he opens the Bible to us when we read it and speaks to us through it. He enables us to pray and to hear his voice when we pray. He convicts us of our sin and enables us to repent. He assures us of God's love for us and God's forgiveness for us. He transforms our hearts and minds, setting us free from the sinful patterns and writing the law on our hearts. Of course, even if we have that gift of the Holy Spirit who unites us to Jesus, and we've experienced the presence of God and experienced God's forgiveness. Of course, that doesn't mean that everything will be rosy from now on. There will still be times where God feels absent, when it, feels, when it seems that he doesn't 
that he's not with us. There will be times when we still don't feel quite forgiven. Times where we don't feel transformed. For the Spirit is only a foretaste of what is to come. There will come a day, it says in Revelation, where God will dwell among his people in his fullness. And then all people will experience his glory in his fullness. And every sin and every tear will be wiped away. The Holy Spirit is what Paul calls, calls a deposit, um, a down payment, real money, but not the full amount, but a guarantee that the full amount will be paid to us one day. So through this gift of the Holy Spirit, God lives within us. We experience the real presence of God and God's real forgiveness. So if we come back to the questions with which I started, where is God and where do I find forgiveness? Through the Holy Spirit, the answer is in ourselves. God has offered this gift of himself to live within us. And, to, and for us to experience the full presence of his forgiveness and his love for us. And this is a gift that's open to anyone who asks. Shall we pray? I'm going to ask um, for the Holy Spirit to come and to be among us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and assure us of your love for us and your forgiveness. Come and assure us that you are with us no matter what we're going through. I want to pray particularly for two categories of people. For people who feel like God is distant from them, who don't feel that God is with them right now, or maybe has never been very present to them. And also for anyone who's really struggling um, to come to terms with, with accepting God's forgiveness. Lord, come by your Holy Spirit. Reassure everyone here that you are with them. And Lord, I pray that you would make real your forgiveness to each one of us. I'd love us just to spend a moment or two in the presence of God by His Spirit, as John has spoken, and to receive His presence, allow Him to make His dwelling in your heart, in your mind, in your life, particularly if you're wanting to know where He is in tough or testing times.
or his presence to assure you of forgiveness. New hope. New life. Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. There may be one or two things you want to either talk through further or, or you'd love someone just to pray with you in a personal sense. I know Johnny is available at the end. I'm here. One or two others as well. Tom, perhaps. Others. If you'd like to come and find us, um, it will be around the front uh, right at the end of the service. We'd love to pray with you uh, if that's appropriate, if you feel God leading you that way. We come now to our final hymn. And you'll see that's our offertory hymn as well. It's an opportunity to give.